and welcome to ChamberCast, the Billings Chamber of Commerce's podcast, brought to you by Marsh McLennan Agency. I'm your host, Jack Genoway. Montana is currently ranked number two in the nation for suicide, which of course has a direct correlation to mental health. The impacts of mental health affect not only individuals, but employers and workplaces as well. The topic of mental health and well-being in the workplace is becoming more mainstream and commonplace topic of conversation instead of something only talked about in private. My guests today are Melanie Schwartz of Upstream Strategy Partners. Good afternoon, Jack. Glad to be here. And Jennifer Reiser, the Chief Operating Officer of the Billings Chamber of Commerce. Thanks, Jack. Happy to be here, too. Thank you. So, Melanie, first and foremost, what is your company? What is Upstream Strategy Partners? When did it start? What kind of goods and services do you offer? And you know, where can people find you? Absolutely. Thank you for the question. Um, Upstream Strategy Partners really started as a group of uh, community members, leaders that I knew, and we were just starting to talk about what does this community need? And one of the things that we identified really early on in the process was some really good leadership training. The other thing that was recognized also really quickly was the need for education around mental health and substance use disorder in the workplace. And that kind of it tags along with leadership training, but it is, they're kind of going together. We also have one of our partners that is very active in veteran training as well. So with those three things, we kind of put this coalition together and said, hey, let's start um, doing some of this in our own community and see if it's valuable. It proved out to be that. And so we started uh, the company called Upstream Strategy Partners. I love to tell the story of why Upstream. I usually get asked that. The reason Upstream is the name is because anytime that there's a problem in our community, we're usually addressing it at the crisis point. Mm. You know, we're having too many suicides. We have too many um, unhoused people, those different things. Upstream is really about let's go upstream and see why it's happening. What are the what are the reasons that we do have some of these problems? And can we put strategies at the front end to better manage some of the things that are happening in our world? Okay, so work on mental health was an important part of it right from the very beginning. Absolutely. Um, My personal passion is around mental health and substance use care. Um, I have had that experience personally, recently wrote a book about it. And so that is one of my personal passions is really figuring out how do we better um, understand mental health and how do we um, help people, especially in the workplace, address it when it's coming through? Because you don't want to necessarily get rid of someone with a mental health or a substance use disorder, you want to try to keep them, but they're going to need some treat some treatment at some point. Okay. Before I forget to ask, what's the book? Can people oh, find you, that wherever absolutely. you buy books? Yeah, it's um it's on Amazon. You can find it there. It's called Life Jackets: A Mother's Journey Through Her Child's Addiction, and it's my personal story about our daughter's addiction and how I handled it as the mother. Okay, we will put a link to that in the show notes if anybody's interested in picking that up. That sounds really not necessarily an easy read, but but really impactful. Yep. So what we want to do today is just kind of examine the impacts of mental health in the workplace. You know, a lot of our listeners are business owners. A lot of our listeners are employers. What should people be looking out for when it comes to mental health in the workplace? I'll take that first. And then I know Jennifer's got quite a few things on this too. I think the statistic that shocks most people is this. If you had a hundred people in your workplace, 56 of them, so 56% of them are in some way affected by mental health, a substance use disorder, or they're caring for someone that's in that category. That is over half of your population at your workplace. And when we talk about it, you know, there's a lot of different mental health diagnoses. There's a lot of different substance use diagnoses. 
And then we cannot forget the group of people that are taking care of that. So their work is impacted because maybe somebody that they care for is having um, an alcohol problem, for example. So that's over half of your population needs at least some recognition that this is going on. And historically, we just don't talk about it. The HR people are usually a little bit skittish about this subject because you just don't want to get into people's really personal medical history. Mm -hmm. But we also need to start to learn to take care of each other in the workplace as much as we take care of people in the community and in our homes. And if we can just move that needle just a little bit, I think we would see um, a big change in the way people with mental illness and substance use disorders are cared for. When you say 50 percent of people in the workforce are either have some sort of a diagnosis or are caring for somebody with a diagnosis, what what types of things are included under those in that diagnosis? Sure. So for us, you know, that's usually the common ones are anxiety, depression, substance use disorder, having prescription drug addiction, alcohol abuse. Montana is still the absolute leader in alcohol abuse. That is just one of the things that we do. And it's very cultural in our society. So it's common. The other thing I think is interesting about my statistic about the 100 people, statistically, 2% are suicidal. So they're having suicidal ideation. um, And maybe you don't even know that. And all of a sudden, we've heard these horror stories about one day I I got the call that somebody had um, completed suicide and you didn't even know that something was wrong. And so if we can, again, build a culture that is more empathic for this type of of care, we can certainly see the numbers change. Well, and something to add to that, in the workplace, you know, it's not always obvious, but things like tardiness or being not meeting deadlines or maybe not presenting themselves physically as put together, perhaps as, as you typically will see, or taking a lot of time off. That's not the norm for a person. Um, And just being aware, um, increasing that awareness and really finding ways to intervene before people are in crisis. You know, so it is about being prepared as a leader to ask the right questions and listen to the answers and have the resources because you're not a mental health professional And you're not expected to be one, unless, of course, you are. But most people in the workplace are not. And that's why you shy away from it, because you don't want to do something wrong. But, you know, not doing anything might be the wrong thing. Right. I think that is so true, Jennifer. You just see it. um, A lot of times leaders are almost oblivious to it. They almost don't want to notice it because it does take an extra step of care, an extra step of leadership to really find a way to find out what is going on with that person. And like Jennifer said, sometimes you don't want to just go flying into their office and saying, gosh, you're late for the 15th time this month. It's more about, hey, I am really concerned about you. You've been late 15 times this month, and that is really unlike you. Can you tell me what's going on? You've got to to come at it at a little bit softer. Mm -hmm. Um, I use the word empathy a lot. You'll hear that. But that's how you're going to get somebody to talk to you. And also, we have to be honest, you have to have built trust prior to this. You can't just expect to one day show up and have them tell you what's going on. You have to build trust continuously through the process. And that's where our leadership training really comes into play. What do we know about the prevalence of issues like this in, in Billings as a whole? Well, I think Montana is usually where our statistics are. Billings um, is unique in the sense that we have a higher uh, rate of mental health issues because uh, we have more resources. 
A lot of people come here, especially out of like a criminal justice system. They end up in Billings because we have great resources. And that's a, a blessing and a curse, of course. You know, we're, we're, we're really happy to have what we do. But we also realize that that um, raises our numbers pretty significantly. The prevalence is interesting because so many people are now, especially post-COVID, are talking about their mental health. We didn't used to talk about, I'm feeling depressed or I have anxiety. Now it's almost commonplace in our conversations, which is actually very good for our society. If we can talk about that and also not have people stigmatize it, we're ahead of the game. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of a generational divide there, too. I, I know folks I that are like my age or younger that are very open about talking about if they're on medication or something like that. People are a lot, lot more open about that type of thing than, than they used to be. Um, yeah, and I think the pandemic really did change things there. Agreed. Do we know, you know, is the what about the changes over time? This, are we seeing an increase in instances of depression and anxiety uh, these days, or are we just noticing it more? You are seeing an increase in depression and anxiety, especially. And a lot of it came from the pandemic. I think it was the first time that our society had actually had this unknown in such a large scale. And it really took people that were maybe already on the edge of having anxiety and depression and made it even more severe. A lot of that has to do with isolation. Um, When you isolate someone, especially if they've got the tendencies to be more of an extrovert, like to be in community, that is very hard on them. And that triggers the depression, anxiety almost immediately. Other things that happen, though, are the isolation. But also, if you we've noticed the workplace as well, you know, we, we are more isolated in the workplace, even if we're in an office with a bunch of people, almost everybody has headphones on and they're kind of doing their own thing. And there isn't as much social aspect to work as there used to be. And I think that that's um, been causing some of those numbers to rise as well. The more serious, and I don't want to say more serious because anxiety and depression are very serious and can often lead to suicidal ideation. But when you talk about things like schizophrenia and bipolar, those we're not seeing those numbers jump dramatically. We're just seeing more people talk about them and getting diagnosed and getting treated for them. Sure. So that's that's the difference. What about substance abuse? Substance abuse went way up. Mm. And the way that you know that is the numbers at the state level for alcohols purchased during COVID almost doubled. And so when you think about that, that's people going and purchasing alcohol, taking it home, which is another just huge red flag, whether, you know, it's you and a spouse or a partner or just you by yourself, you know, drinking at home is always kind of one of those red flags we look at initially for um, potential abuse. You know, I, I did hear during the pandemic, I, I, I won't, you know, name any any names, but I heard from business owners that they told me that they they did lose quite a few people to substance abuse, that people who left during the pandemic and then never came back because they had some sort of really they developed some sort of really serious substance abuse issue in the in the interim. And he said it wasn't even just like, you know, it was management level people that, that had that issue, too. I think a lot of times this gets that we we make associations that aren't necessarily there. People who, you know, look like us, who, you know, make all different kinds of money can end up with these issues. Oh, I think that is so true, Jack. And I think it's the one thing that we really need to look at right now. And it's one of the reasons Upstream Strategy Partners is uh, kind of taking off is We now need to decide as a society, and especially with the workforce shortage that we're in, 
are we going to just um, eliminate the positions for people that are in a substance use disorder scenario? Or are we going to try to get them some treatment and some rehabilitation and retain them? I, of course, am leaning on the side of retention. And what we find is if a company starts to adopt a culture, we call it recovery friendly. If they start to adopt a culture where it's recognized, it they're sent uh, to treatment or they're getting treatment while they're still working, they become a very loyal employee. The numbers are almost 40% that people will stay in a position that they got help for their substance use disorder. Those numbers are amazing. And so in a society today where we're trying to retain our employees, oftentimes you need to look at those employees that maybe are suffering and say, hey, it's, we're better off to help them right now. I think the other thing we always have to start with anytime I talk about substance use it's a disease too. So if you think about that in the moral level, it's like if somebody came to you and said, I had cancer, you wouldn't fire them. If somebody comes to you and says, I have a substance use disorder, you shouldn't fire them. Now, their behavior can be a problem and we understand that and there needs to be some disciplinary actions or some boundaries put around it. 100% agree with that. But you don't have to just automatically say they're done. So you mentioned one already, uh, retaining people and offering some stability there. What are some other solutions that we can start to look at to get, like you were saying, get upstream of this and start addressing some of these issues? Yeah. So I think some of the things that we should be looking at is if you look at substance use disorders in people that are maybe 25, we probably knew they were going to have trouble when they were 16. And that comes from their childhood experiences, genetics, all of these different things that are in play. So if I had my way, we'd be doing prevention really early in probably junior high, early high school. That's where you start to see some of these um, symptoms come out, some of the genetics come out, and also their environment will start to impact whether they go into using substances or not. So my idea of prevention is starting there. If we get up into the workplace where we are right now, one of the prevention things that I have been um, working on and will start training on is that we need to start having people within your organizations who are not HR and not the boss <laughs> as almost ambassadors. You know, let's call them mental health ambassadors. I don't, I don't care what we call them, but have some people who are very empathetic, maybe have some lived experience in this that you can talk to. And we identify them. We say, hey, Jack's going to be our, our person for this. And uh, so if I'm having a bad day, I feel comfortable going to Jack. It's part of the company's culture. We can change the cultures of these businesses that are struggling and get them in a, taking care of their people in a way that is very impactful and will definitely change those numbers. Well, and that's what I think about, you know, what are your systems, what are your policies, and what does your environment look like in the workplace, right? So if you have systems and policies that support them, um, identifying somebody who is that safe place, if you will, to have a conversation. If you have policies that support and encourage physical activity, community engagement, you know, time with your team, you know, encouraging that connectedness piece. And then what does your environment look like? Is everybody sitting, you know, in little cubicles with your headphones on and, and really does, is the physical environment creating opportunities for people to come together and collaborate and do work or is it very isolated and then you end up feeling that way even more so if you're if you're if you're having mental health challenges right and so i think 
in the workplace, encouraging coping strategies and paying attention to what your policies say, you know, use the chamber as an example. I mean, we host a lot of events that are in the evening and serve alcohol. We've been very intentional about not always having alcohol at our events and making sure that we do have, I'll say, high quality uh, non-alcoholic options, right? So it's not just you have to drink or you have tap water. With nothing wrong with tap water. It's perfectly safe to drink, but you know, it's, it's not very exciting. Right. And so um, the other thing is really our, our policies uh, for our, our own employees. And you know, this, I mean, we've got word language in, in our um, employee handbook that does um, explain how we will help people if they are experiencing mental health challenges or substance um, abuse, um, you know, challenges as well. And so, you know, making sure that you have all three of those things in the workplace and you can't overnight just snap your fingers and it's there, right? As Melanie said, you have to kind of create that culture, but you have an opportunity to do that. So we're looking to be more welcoming, creating spaces where people feel like they belong, no matter where they are on any sort of spectrum in, in, in life. And we have the physical environment that supports what we want it to, the policies and the systems in place to do that as well. Yeah, I'll just speak as a as a chamber employee that that was one thing they did kind of jump out to me when I was start, first started here and was reading the the employee handbook. But it, it is something that, you know, made an impression immediately that I found reassuring. Sure. And, and it, it, it does balance things. I mean, there's there's good reason and liability reasons to say that if you choose to consume alcohol at our at our events, then, you know, you have to do it in a, um, you know, proper manner and you know you're responsible and all of those things but then also it's very much a choice right and it's meant to be that way and we we work i don't want to say we work hard but we're intentional about not assuming that everybody's going to have something mm -hmm. you know and and we we watch and make sure that you know everybody's uh feels like they have choice the other thing too that i think is is huge is that, you know, so I started attending therapy the last couple of years and our insurance covers that mm. as, as the same as it does, you know, any other medical procedure, maybe not quite to the same level, but sure. still, you know, that because that's, you know, that would the cost of that can be a deal breaker for that's a lot a, of people. That's a really good point, Jack. So when employers are reviewing their their insurance coverage or their their benefits or are there alternative things that employers can engage in like employee assistance programs and things like that to supplement your core health insurance and and give your employees the resources that they need and it can be sometimes the resources they need are just some time to go take a walk mm -hmm. um or you know encouraging looking at overall health and well-being you know focusing on those positive things you know we've engaged healthy as wellness here at the billings chamber to allow our employees that want it we're not requiring people to do it but to work on things to be more physically healthy which also leads to positive mental health as well mm -hmm. i think that's a really interesting um point and i think it's going to change in the workplace in the next probably 10 years i think eap used to be the it's the kind of the buzzword it's the employee assistance program and it's as part of your insurance and it was always kind of this dark secret who was using EAP. <laughs> there was always this paranoia that my boss knew or that, and really they don't know. I mean, EAP is actually very confidential. They just know somebody accessed it. They don't know who it is. And, but it, people are using it. The rate people are using EAP is 7%. And that in, you know, in direct relation to the other statistic I gave you, that is really low. 
And we've a lot of that has to do with stigma and paranoia. You know, I mean, people are really reluctant to say, hey, I really need to go to my my um, therapist appointment. To your point about generationally, though, your generation is very much saying that and it's very, very accepted. And so we're really trying to come along the the next generations or the older generations come along with that. It's challenging for them. It really is. I talk to a lot of boomer bosses that just don't get it. They do not understand why you would have to take a therapy break on Tuesday, every Tuesday at one o'clock. Whereas back to my cancer example, if somebody was going to chemo every Tuesday at one o'clock, it would be no big deal. So we just need to balance that out and make it more acceptable. The Billings Chamber invites you to the Ag Celebration Banquet presented by Yellowstone Valley Electric Cooperative, January 26th, Metro Park Pavilion. The Ag Banquet is for learning, appreciation, and recognition of the ag industry. Go to billingschamber.com to register. Thanks to our sponsors, Yellowstone Valley Electric Cooperative, Stockman Bank, CNB Operations, Ide Bailey, Ag West Farm Credit, KGHL, Komatsu, Billings Sign Service, Running Our Equipment Repair, and Agro Liquid. Register now for the Chamber Ag Appreciation Banquet, January 26th. Jennifer, you and, and Kathy recently completed a mental health slash suicide prevention training. Can you tell us more about, you know, what that entailed? I actually have, this will be the first time I've really heard the, the update sure. about it. Yeah, we recently became mental health first aid um, instructors, certified instructors, Kathy Greider and I both did. And that is through the National Council for Mental Wellbeing. And really mental health first aid is um, an early intervention kind of public education program And it really teaches adults how there's a youth program as well, but we're focused on the adult one, how to recognize the signs and symptoms um, that suggest a potential mental health challenge. Um, It also helps teach people how to listen non-judgmentally, as we talked about, give reassurance to a person who might be experiencing a mental health challenge, and then ultimately how to refer a person to appropriate professional support and services. Back to the, I'm not a mental health professional, however... If I know who they are and what services are available and I recognize challenges in an employee, I can help bridge that gap and encourage and direct them to somewhere to get some help. So Kathy and I, as part of our workforce development work here at the chamber, will be conducting some mental health first aid trainings this next year in 2024. Uh, One will be included in the professional development series that launches after the first of the year, probably be not until the spring version uh, episode of that. But so mental health first aid training, again, we, we understand what mental or what first aid training is, right? We've, right. we've gone through that here. We go through CPR training, we do these things. So mental health first aid training is really about helping people um, recognize and respond to the early signs and symptoms of mental health challenges. And I would just like to give a huge kudos to the chamber for putting two of their leaders into that program. I mean, it is the t- one of the top rated programs in the country. Uh, mental health first aid. If we, uh, what Jennifer just said, if we started having every business owner do mental health first aid, I just think the the change would be so noticeable. It would be noticeable when you go into a business. It would be noticeable if you're an employee. Um, it would change your leadership style. 
And we really need to change the way we're training our current leaders, right? Like current leaders need to be um, much more empathic than they were in the past. And when I talk to a lot of leaders, it's like, ah, I'm just not good at that. I don't know how to do that. It's like, I almost want to say too bad, time to learn it, (laughs) like time to get in because it really is the wave of the future. And it is the expectation of many of our young professionals is that they're going to work in an environment and a culture that is accepting of all of these different changes and all of these different possibilities that are happening. Such an important piece and such an important um, lesson in in leadership. I have a couple of different ways I want to go with this. So (laughs) first, Melanie, let me have you address the stereotype that that we've all seen kind of comedic skits that have been put together. It's like uh, all these these new Gen Z employees that are entering the workforce are just like taking a million mental health days and like they've they're two months into the job and they've already taken like two weeks off and all that kind of stuff like address address that stereotype how real is that how do we how do employers kind of find that balance of you know employees maybe taking it too far sometimes yeah I think I think you use the right word it's balance and it also (laughs) depends on who the the current leader is so one of the things that I think will be really interesting in my upcoming work will be you know when you do have these leaders who were maybe brought through leadership in a, in a very conservative corporate way, this is going to be a challenge for them. We know that. But we also have these new employees that are really going to push that envelope, right? And so I think you're right. It's going to be finding a balance. What a lot of young workers say to me is, I'm really productive, though. I get my work done. You give me a body of work, I get it done. What leaders are saying is, it's not just about getting the work done. It's about going above and beyond and, you know, taking on extra work. And so oftentimes those two are in direct conflict with each other. So there's got to be some communication with um, the workers and the leadership about what does that look like? Um, are, Are you a person that just wants to produce at a level that's just, you know, I've got this body of work, I'm going to get it done? Or are you looking to grow and take on more? Because once you know that, you can then accommodate for that. The mental health days, I see those beams all the time. It always makes me laugh because I'm guessing that there are people that are very much just like that. I'm also guessing that they're so self-aware, they probably do get their work done. So that's my that's my take <laughs> on that. <laughs> but you're right. I mean, it is that having those conversations, setting expectations on both sides, right? So the then and making sure that they align. So the expectation for from the employer standpoint isn't necessarily, I mean, if it is, you're sitting in your chair, you know, from eight to five, Monday through Friday, and the expectation of the employee is, I'm going to sit in that chair when I need to and want to, you got to have a conversation around that, right? And we can always do better in the very beginning when you're interviewing and you're onboarding and, and making sure you're communicating those expectations and asking those questions and making sure there is some alignment. That I think the challenge comes with people who have been on your team for a long time or the leader that's been in that seat for a while. And then you are doing something new with new people coming in. But the existing team is kind of going, wow, I never had that. Or do I get that? Oh, sure. Or how do I voice my expectations or desires, if you will, and how, how I want to live my work life, right? Well, and it it brings me back to some DEI training that I did recently about the difference between equity and equality, right? That, you know, we're trying to provide each person, and this is not how it used to be. I fully recognize that. 
But we're now trying to accommodate each person's abilities, their skills, their talents, their needs, their family, you know, their mental health, their physical health. I mean, we are looking at a laundry list of things that each person needs. And now as the leader, you're not only expected to do your own, you're now expected to know your whole teams. So if you have a team of 10 people, which in the, you know, 20 years ago would have been no big deal. Now to have 10 people that you're supervising, that is a lot of work. And if you're good at it, you get, you get to understand what their different needs are. And you're also, if you're really good at it and you're the exceptional leader, your 10 people don't feel in any inequity in that. They've, they recognize that Joe might need something different than Jane. And so when they see a leader take that on, they're good with that. That's the model of the future. And it is going to be uh, a lot of leadership training is going to have to take place to get us there. Okay. So the other dire direction I wanted to go with that question. <laughs> So, Jennifer, you mentioned that we're going to be offering trainings in the future. Yes. Uh, first of all, how can people uh, learn more about that and maybe yeah, raise their hand and say that they're interested in that? You, you know, I would say at this point and at this stage, reaching out to me or to Kathy on our team and kind of getting on the list and, and we will be able to share then what our plans are. We're building that plan. Kathy and I just completed this training and it was pretty um, significant and extensive and really lend itself to be, you know, show us how legitimate this really is and how important it really is. Right. And so we will be team teaching at least three times this next year. Uh, we just don't have dates and, and information quite yet on all of that. We'll put both of your emails in the show notes. The other question I wanted to ask is, well, give us a little bit of a teaser about what what some of the stuff that you learned in this training was. What are some of the things that surprised you, things that you're maybe thinking about doing differently now that you've gone through this? You know, I think the biggest thing that comes to mind is, is really um, encouraging people and doing this myself to have a self-care action plan. You know, what is it that bring, you know, that you can do and what areas can you build so that you have some, I guess, resilience when, when it comes time to, to having challenges? Because I would say that even people who are not in mental health crisis go through mental health challenges, right? So as we kind of went into this training, we really looked at identifying components of our own self-care action plans and and finding ways to you know, what is that that's going to provide self-care for you? And, and when we were doing the training, it was virtual training, so, but it was live. We were on Zoom. We had to interact and do all the things. We would take, you know, a 30-minute break and we would come back and we had to report what did we do for self-care. You know, and some people would say, I walked my dog. Some people would say, I had a snack. Some people would say, you know, I listened to music or I did some yoga. And so you have all these these options really, is it, you know, emotional environment, physical, is it spiritual? You know, do you have a community that you can lean on? You know, maybe during that break, you call your mom, you know, and you talk to your friend or you check in on a coworker, you know, things that help you manage your own, whatever, fill in the blank. You know, if you're feeling down or you're feeling overwhelmed or whatever it might be, it, it does really help, um, to develop those self-care action plans in advance, right? And so that when you recognize you're going down the path of something, you're able to kind of self-manage um, some of the things. I think the other piece is really providing resources in our community and making sure that our employers know what those are. Who are those people that are here, you know, what that are doing work in the 
mental health and substance abuse disorder space. And, you know, shy of calling 911 in a full blown emergency, how can we get a person the assistance and support that they need prior to it becoming a true crisis? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really important. One of the things I'll just to put an exclamation point on that, we often, it, when somebody's having a crisis or what we think is a mental health crisis in the workplace, our initial reaction is to send them home. Um, they're not feeling well. They're not doing well. Um, maybe, you know, something has happened, a catalyst event. And our initial reaction is to send them home. And I, oh, I, next time you have that feeling, stop yourself and just think about that for a minute. Is that really the best option? Mm. Or are they really better off to stay with you and stay in their work environment with their colleagues, people that they know care about them? And so that's just like one really simple thing you can you can do, because I think as supervisors, our first inclination is, oh, you're having a bad day. Go home. And going home is isolating and maybe depressing for someone. So just think about that. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. So speaking of crises, there's a couple things that we I really wanted to get into before we wrap up. As I mentioned at the top of the episode, uh, Montana has a very, very high suicide rate, unfortunately. Um, what's being done about suicide prevention in Billings? Um, are there any efforts that we should be more aware of that we can support? Well, I think everybody really is trying to do the very best that they can. I, I think that there are a lot of organizations that address suicide prevention, but maybe they're addressing it as part of an, uh, an another program, mental health, both hospitals, Rimrock, you know, we, we have lots of good organizations around our community that are addressing suicide prevention. The challenge with suicide prevention is this. We often do not know until it is too late. And that is where, when we talk about prevention, you really have to go way upstream, if you will, mm. because you really have to get to the core of why that person is feeling that down, that um, hopeless. And so that will take a lot of work from everybody, not just your healthcare providers. That's going to take work from family, from the schools, from you know your your workplace, obviously. One of the trainings that we recommend uh, that addresses suicide prevention directly is called QPR. And just like we were just talking a minute ago about CPR, most people should also know QPR and they should also have Narcan training. QPR stands for Question, Persuade, Response. And what it is, is basically if you see someone and you even have an inkling that that's what's going on, you go through this very simple process and you resource it quickly. And, you know, most people aren't qualified or feel like they're qualified to handle a suicide scenario. So we need the, that we need to get them to the next best resource as quickly as possible. Sometimes that is an emergency room and we have to not be afraid of that. If you saved someone's life, that would be worth it. Oftentimes the person is like reluctant because they're embarrassed or, you know, they don't want to admit it or whatever, but we really do need to do that. Uh, Jennifer, are there any, um, are there any chamber members that we, uh, that offer resources related to mental health, suicide prevention? Anything yes. Like that? A lot of, a lot of mental health and, uh, wellness, uh, treatment and training, uh, professionals that are chamber members. You can look at our directory, um, and get a, a comprehensive list, but a couple that come to mind are shifting sands, NAMI billings, which is the national alliance on mental health or mental illness, excuse me. Uh, Chinook horses. And then we have a number of counselors and therapists that are chamber members as well. I would also say that Riverstone Health has a suicide prevention uh, specialist on staff and is a good resource there as well. Melanie, are there others you would like to mention? Um, you know, the one thing that I would like to mention is the resource that we have um, statewide is 211.org. Uh, if you go there, it shows all the different resources for the state 
And you can start to put in your really specifics, like you can put in Yellowstone County. I live in Billings and I'm looking for a licensed addiction counselor. And it will just give you that list. So it's a really amazing resource. And it's meant for kind of non-crisis. So I'm like looking for sure. a therapist or I'm looking that. If you get into a crisis situation, it's 988. And that's okay. just like calling 911. So you can call 988 if you're having a mental health crisis um, and they will get you to the right resources right away. Can you just dial 211 and get that information as well? No, I don't think you can dial 211. Okay. It's interesting. You can dial 988 yeah. and get a crisis line. Um, and but you have to go to the website on 211. Yeah. And speaking of the 988 number, that's a good reminder. We actually did do an interview with the folks that are putting together the crisis response unit. We'll link that in the show notes as well. That's a really great program. It's yeah. coming out soon. Amazing. Yes. Um, We're really lucky to have it in Billings, by the way. The other sort of timely question that I wanted to ask. So we're at the time of year where days are, are very short. Uh, seasonal affective disorder is a real thing. Can you share with us any tips of, you know, combating that? Yeah, I, I'll share a personal story on this, Jack, because I, I have seasonal affective disorder. And I also I have a lot of um, I don't want to call it PTSD, but maybe that's what it is around the holidays. Our daughter that had the substance use disorder, it seemed like she always had the crisis during the holidays. And I started to really grow this um, dislike of it. I, dis I dislike this time of year. It's always very hard for me. But as I've learned about it and I learned why it's happening and what's going on, I have also learned about what do, what do I need to do for self-care during this time of year? I think sometimes you just have to be so intentional about doing something for yourself when you realize you're slipping into that spot. And I think a lot of people just pass it off as, oh, I just hate it because it's dark. When in all actuality, you probably are affected by it in a negative way. So there's light therapy that I um, I know a lot of people use. Uh, it's really important to be out in nature and out in the outdoors at some point really hard because you have to completely adjust your schedule to be able to do it during the daylight, right? Mm -hmm. But you, I think it's just, I think about it a lot more than I used to. I used to just pass it off and pray for November and December to be over now I kind of think about what should I do like to make this feel better and to make it not so dreary for, for the, especially the daylight piece. Sure. And I do think that there are professionals who can help develop treatment plans, but the self-care piece yeah. really is important. It's getting outside. It's making your environment brighter, um, opening your blinds, opening your windows. Even if it's cloudy outside, it's going to be brighter outside than it is in your home oftentimes without that natural light. Um, it's about um, developing normal, normalizing sleep patterns, you know, not oh. not allowing yourself, even though it's dark early and stays dark longer to stay in bed and not move and exercising regularly, whatever that means to you, whether it's taking a walk or it's, you know, going to a gym or it's joining a class. All of those things can really can really help kind of keep you on track during this time of year. And I will also say, as Melanie so gratefully shared with us challenges that she's had. I think, you know, there are groups and uh, support groups and, and things in, in churches and clinic and, and through others that, you know, there are blue Christmas services mm -hmm. and things like that, because it does help us recognize that the holidays are not always a, a happy and joyous time for everyone. And I think that that's, yeah. again, that's, it's an inclusion piece, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's important to recognize that, we don't all celebrate the same way, but we also don't feel exactly the same way about this time of year. Yeah, very, very true. Um, I, I, I just can't say enough about that, about self-care. 
there's also some amazing studies being done around sleep. And I think we've we've all been reading them online, but they're really um, getting intense on how much sleep you need, when you need it, how regular it should be getting yourself in that routine, just doing some amazing things for people. So that's great. Yeah. Uh, Was there anything that you uh, really wanted to touch on today that we hadn't gotten to? Yeah, I have one thing that I would love to add. Upstream Strategy Partners, as we get started and start moving, we'll also be offering trainings and all of that. So please feel free to get a hold of me. But one of the most exciting things for Upstream is in October of 2024, we are going to bring a Behavioral Health Summit to Billings. And um, it will be kind of the first of its kind in the sense that it really is a hot topic right now. A lot of people are interested in it. They want to know what to do. They want to learn more about, you know, what is self-care? How do I handle mental health in my workplace? You know, all of those different things. So we've done, uh, we're going to do a three-day summit in October and talk about that. And so for chamber members, that will be a tremendous opportunity. We have one whole day donated to or dedicated to learning about industry and how you can make your workplace better. So that's like a whole day. And then we'll have a a more traditional conference day that'll have keynotes and breakouts and all of that. And then we'll have a day of learning for the for the professionals that want to get their continuing education. But just something uh, put a save the date on your early October for that. Okay. Yeah. You, you, I'm sure you don't have anything up on a I website don't, yeah. or anything It'll like that It'll be up on yet. January 1. There'll be a save the date. Excellent. So. Register now for the Billings Chambers 2024 Encore Program. Through our unique programming, we focus on both personal and professional growth and explore current issues facing women in leadership roles. Participants enhance their own leadership skills through a combination of structured workshops, small group discussions, and opportunities for networking and connection. Portions of our programming are designed specifically around class members' interests and needs. Register today at billingschamber.com. Well, that was a heavy, that was a little bit of a heavy topic, but yep. very, very important. Yes. So before we wrap up today, I just kind of want to ask a few lighthearted questions related <laughs> to nothing else that we talked about today, except for maybe the holiday season. This time of year, I think about uh, I think a lot about, you know, giving and opportunities for generosity and all that kind of thing. Can either of you uh, tell a quick giving story that has really stuck with you? I can tell you, I didn't have the opportunity to do this this year because I was traveling when it was happening, but we have gone in the past and done dress a child with the breakfast exchange club. Mm. And, um, the exchange club provides a a certain amount, a a stipend to each child. And then you as the volunteer can supplement it if you'd like. Um, the children are typically come there, they come there with their parents, but they don't necessarily, the parents don't necessarily accompany (laughs) So a few years ago, we had a little boy. He was probably eight and he was quite the character. And he his mother said when we start left with the shopping list and it's things that they need. It's not things that they want. So you have to keep them on track. And and an eight year old boy watching him kind of wander off into the other areas. It was like reel him in, reel him in. (laughs) But um, my favorite part was his mother said he's not going to want to try anything on. But please make sure things fit him because she didn't want to get home. I mean, it was so great. She was so grateful for the the clothing items and things, but didn't want stuff that didn't fit him, you know. And so we did eventually. I mean, I did my best to sort of hold things up to him and try to do that. But we did finally get him into the, the dressing room. And the stories that he told us and the things that he would say, you know, we would say, well, you know, mitten or gloves aren't on your list. Do you have some? Well, 
yes, I don't really know where they are, but my mom probably does. You know, I mean, just having that individual um, interaction was was so much fun. And to know that you were able to provide that one for the children, but also to help their parents be able to put, you know, clothing, new clothing on them was such a, a joy. Yeah. Um, I, that's a wonderful story. And I love that program. Um, and my husband participates in it as well. Uh, the, the story that I think about, and this probably isn't as joyful as Jennifer's, but I think about, I've been a couple of times where people have had to be in treatment or in care during the holidays and how challenging that is, because it's like the first time that maybe they're sober during a holiday season. And I've had the chance to just sit and kind of talk to them. And, and I realize how grateful I am for my life, but also how grateful they are for getting a chance. And even though they had to give up their holidays, they still are able to try to make their life better. And so I just think we should all be thinking about people that maybe are really struggling this time of year and what they might need or how we could help them get, just kind of get through this, get through the season because they really are trying to make their lives better. It's the one thing about our community and Billings that I really love is we do have a lot of resources and you do see people all the time really trying to improve their lives. And so I'm always just really grateful that people take that step. That's awesome. I try not to, this is kind of an easy question. I try not to ask it too often, but I know from the two of you, I'm going to get a great answer. There's a lot of pressure. What's on your reading list right now? So I had a sneaking suspicion, having done this with you before, that you would ask that question. And my favorite is when you say, what's on your nightstand? And I actually counted the books today. There are 13 of them sitting on my oh nightstand. My and actually, the nightstand is not that big, and they probably need to be moved to the actual bookshelf. And it's not that I've started all of them. I just want them by me. I'm kind of a weirdo with books, right? So actually, two things. One, I just reread A Wrinkle in Time. And okay. if you have never read that or you haven't read it in a long time, read it. It's, it's just, it's the... I don't know that it was necessarily the beginning of sort of fantasy fiction and which is really not a genre I read often, or do I really like to watch movies in that or whatever, but it was actually really fun. And I had the great opportunity to travel internationally recently and went to Istanbul, Turkey and went to a historic hotel that was initially or originally built for the passengers of the Orient Express so I just started wow. re just started reading Murder on the Orient Express. Ooh, that's I've never one. read it. So I it's time. That. I have to be honest with you. I am in the middle of reading and rereading. It's called The Leadership Challenge. And I know it doesn't sound exciting, but <laughs> let me tell you, it's a really interesting book because and the reason I'm reading it right now and I'm reading it over and over is I just joined the uh, master class with Leadership Montana and it's their kind of Bible book that they use. And I've just learned a bunch of really new and interesting things. But I um, I usually take kind of these months off from reading. And I love to read nonfiction. So I try not to read a lot of nonfiction during the holidays because I think it's not really joyful. <laughs> but um, I have to tell you, though, this is a funny story. I was at Target yesterday and they have this display of all the little golden books. And I... I grabbed like my top three and I'm going to give them to my kids. So like the pokey little puppy was in there and are you my mother with the Dr. Oh, Seuss one? Yeah. And so I grabbed those and I read them last night just because it was super fun. And it's like, you don't remember them as, as vividly. And now I'm like, Oh, the kids are going to love this. And my children mm -hmm. are th in their thirties. So that's going to be fun. Nice. <laughs> uh, last but not least, how long have you lived in Billings and what keeps you here? 
I've been here over, I was born here and then left and went and lived in Sheridan, Wyoming for most of my years through high school. And then I came back here. So I've, I've been here a little over almost 26 years in this recent piece, but I am a native Montanan. So I love to get to say that. <laughs> um, what keeps me here is there is something about Billings that I just absolutely love. And I know we have our problems. I see them every single day. My work shows them to me and, you know, big red flags. But there's something about it. I love it here. I love the geography of it. I love when you land at the airport. It just really feels like, oh, I'm home. I've tried to go look at other places like maybe we should live in Arizona. And I go there and I love it. It's fun to visit, but I always want to go home. And home for me is always Billings. Well, I moved here to go to college. And if I tell you how long ago that was, you'll be able to do the math and figure out how old I am. <laughs> uh, but I came here to go to Rocky Mountain College. They recruited me to play volleyball and I got some really great science um, academic scholarships. And I'm going to be honest, when I moved here, I really didn't care for the community and I was not planning on staying. I say I was the one who was always leaving and I am still here. So um <laughs> We used to say, you know, when our youngest daughter graduated from high school, we could go anywhere. Right. And um, she's been in college for three years and we're still here and we are not actively looking to go anywhere. Um, I love my work. I love the people I get to work with. Um, and I do like Melanie. There is just something about Billings. I get to travel a lot. My family lives all over the country. It's so great to go visit, but there is something about coming home and not native Montanan and my sister and I, when we were kids, we moved a lot. And she used to say, where do you call home? But now I figure since Billings has been my residence for more than half my life, Billings is home. Right. Yeah. And so, um, of course, all communities have challenges, but Billings is still the size where you can have a seat at the table to make a difference. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you both so much for your time today. Thank you for the work that you're doing on this. I know I learned a lot and I hope that we're able to help some people with all this too. Thank you so much, Jen. Thank you very much to Melanie and Jennifer for joining us today. And thank you very much to Marsh McLennan Agency for sponsoring this podcast. If you would like to suggest a topic or ask a question, please feel free to email us at podcast at billingschamber.com. And thank you all for listening. We hope that you found this episode helpful and we hope that you all are well this holiday season. Merry Christmas, everyone.